Hey there, and welcome to Upfront, a podcast that features conversations with business leaders, entrepreneurs, and company founders who are doing amazing things in their industry. Hello, hello, and welcome to a new episode of Upfront. I'm Derek Beer, and I'm so glad you're here with us again. Or maybe it's your first time, and if that's the case, welcome to the show. Our guest is an award-winning entrepreneur, chief creative officer, and designer who is passionate about using design and collaboration to make the world a better place. Suzanne McKenzie is the founder and chief creative officer of AbleMade, the original off-pitch soccer style brand that combines soccer-inspired apparel and accessories with responsible manufacturing and giving back to the community. Suzanne's 24 years of experience includes work in the advertising and design consultancy worlds for numerous national and global brands, maybe you've heard of a few of them, and that includes Tom Ford, Timberland, Puma, Supergoop with Maria Sharapova, the Olympic Games, ESPN, Museum of Modern Art, Titleist, and many more. Suzanne has also been on the jury for numerous international design and award shows, including the 2022 One Show and the Ad Club. She was selected and recognized at the White House by President Obama as a global emerging entrepreneur and also is a Sappy Ideas That Matter North America grant recipient. Suzanne has taught design and social entrepreneurship at the School of Visual Arts in New York City and leads as board chair for the UCAL McKenzie Breakaway Foundation. Her work has been featured in Business Week, Vanity Fair, Graphic Design USA, Vogue, Women's Wear Daily, and much more. Let's get up front with Suzanne McKenzie. Suzanne, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here as well. And, um, you know, I had a great time at a, a, a recent event that you hosted at the um, AbleMade store um, at West Farms Mall here in Connecticut. And we'll talk about that later. But I, I, I do want to go back to the beginning to learn more about you as a person and your choices, events, lifestyle um, that have all helped to get you to where you are today. Um, so let's go way back. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a small town called Hollis in Maine, mm. and it's about 30 minutes west of Portland. So I had a lot of room to run around, ride my bike, hang out with my friends. I was truly in nature. And um, I think one formative thing my parents did for me when I was in second grade is enrolled me in my first sport, softball. And um, it really became a really big vehicle for what I'm doing today in terms of being very sports focused. But it also like really built me as a person, you know, as a three sport athlete and um, softball, basketball and soccer were my sports. Awesome. What position did you play in basketball? See, this was my first heartbreak. I was a, a, a small forward, and I'll emphasize small <laughs> because, <laughs> because you know, I was taller when I was young, but like I, my, I peak, I peak out at uh, five foot six. Okay, and you know, the girls in Maine, you know, they're they're big, they're big girls. <laughs> so by the time I got to high school, I had the skill set of someone who was supposed to be under the basket, not like a person who was like a point guard. So I kind of got. I got, uh, I was too small for my position. I'll just put it that way. So it was my first heartbreak. <laughs> okay. So, you know, Maine, it's such a beautiful state, um, lots of woods, the coastline, and like you said, lots of freedom to, to play out there. Um, what would you describe life like growing up in Maine? It was really simple. Like I had my little crew of friends that we did everything together from birthday parties to sports to just like hanging out. Um, you know, my my family mostly lived in Maine, so we wouldn't travel too far to go visit family. My grandmother's lake, we called it Mamay's Lake. Um, she had a camp 
that she would go to during the summer. We'd all gravitate there on the weekends. It was just really lovely. It was just really simple, family-oriented, friend-oriented, um, and, and not too complex, which was appreciated. Yeah, the simple life, right? I long for that sometimes. <laughs> yes, I appreciate it much more now that I go back. My parents are still there. They're not in Hollis. They, um, they built in South Portland. So a little bit more happening now from uh, the place that we grew up. So, um, but it is nice. The pace, just like uh, the energy and just is so relaxed. Yeah, for sure. We did a vacation up there last year up to Portland for a night. And then we went to like Booth Bay and then we went all the way up to like the Bar Harbor area. And the restaurant, mm-hmm. the restaurant scene in Portland was like just nuts. I thought it was awesome. Yeah. I thought it was awesome. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So growing up in Maine, any, any brothers or sisters? Yes, um, I'm the youngest, mm. the best position in, in the house. <laughs> you got, yeah, you got a, you got away with everything, right? <laughs> I got away with everything. It was awesome. Yeah, I have uh, two brothers and two sisters, and um, my two older sisters actually went to Boston mm-hmm. for college, Emerson and BU. So, and they're a little older than me. So when I was in third grade, I was heading to the big city, and I just like got bit by the city. Like I was like, oh yes, I want to be here, you know. And I ended up going for college, but because they you know, showed me the way. Mm, okay. And, and what did your parents do for work? My dad was in refrigeration and welding. So, um, and my mom was really like the head of office at a, at a medical slash doctor's office. What, what kind of values did your parents instill in you then that you still carry with you today? My parents are like the hardest workers ever. And I feel like that's something I definitely picked up from them. And just like character building too. Like I feel that they're really good people, nice people, have great values and treat everybody with respect. Um, You know, I just feel like they do the right thing. So I definitely learned from that for sure. And I, they just grinded me. And my dad did like a lot of travel when I was little um, doing all these like refrigeration and welding projects around the country, like worked in crazy heat, freezing temperatures. My mom, you know, raising kids, like didn't, you know, had the option not to work, but she chose to work, you know, to help provide Mm -hmm. for the family. So I feel that, you know, that's something I definitely picked up on, um, and hopefully in part today. Yeah. There's something about, Maine or Mainers, right? That, is that what, you know? Maniacs. Oh, maniacs. I haven't heard that one. But, you know, it, it's like, to me, like, my experience, the people of Maine were just so friendly. And I have a couple friends who grew up there, too, um, around the Portland area. And they're just, like, people who are not afraid to get their hands dirty and yeah. dive in. Yeah, I agree. I will definitely second that, for sure. Yeah, that's cool. You got the... You got bit by the city bug going to to Boston, but what you know, tying into your childhood aspirations, what did you want to be when you grew up? I know I knew I really liked art, but I didn't really know like what area of art. Like I didn't I like being creative, but I didn't know like how I would be expressing that. Like I thought I might want to do copywriting. Um, mm. and my my major when I went to school at Suffolk University in Boston was, and I went because they had an art school plus liberal arts program. And I started really just as an advertising major, but kind of snuck my way into the graphic design part of it. So I basically double majored when I was an undergrad in both advertising and graphic design. So um, I learned along the way. And I think my internship, I interned at Arnold Worldwide when I was a, a junior slash senior because I got actually got two semesters in with them um, and I learned a lot about how it worked and like what areas of the practice did writing which was more visual where did I fit in in that and that was really helpful for me to kind of like do that but I like to draw I like just to be creative when I was younger so I knew I wanted to do something in that like creative field yeah I think everybody should still play with crayons right everybody <laughs> you know yeah. I feel like cre- creativity is within all of us and you know you just have to you just have to tap into it what kind of student would you say you were or what kind of student do you think you were back then I was pretty good because I was a nightmare in high school (laughs) I wasn't focused I wasn't focused I wanted just to play sports like I wasn't focused at all 
Um, you know, and then when I was younger, I was like a straight A student. But when I hit high school, something sort of started going left. <laughs> so, um, but in in college, I think just the format fit me better. I was really diligent. I ended up um, really getting good grades and like um, getting into the Archer Fellows program because of my grades and like graduating with a nice GPA. I think I was like mm. three six ish wow something like that um but yeah i like the different like you could t pick the times that you took your classes sometimes they're, it was just more flexible and like you actually got to like do life things during the day which i really appreciated and actually it was the first time since second grade that i chose not to do a sport and i just wanted to like figure out life without athletics for a year and just like see how that felt because i had never mm. done it um and then ironically, I came back to it. I started the first women's soccer team my junior year. <laughs> so like eventually I made my way back. Um, and actually that sort of comes to the, the way of how my husband and I ended up um, starting a relationship. We were really good friends, but um, he helped me start that team. So um, I think taking a break from sports was a good thing for me just to figure out myself and then coming back to it just because I missed it and loved it um, was important too. Nice. Yeah. It's like I, I was, um, my sports experience was certainly soccer when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. um, but then when I got to high school, I remember freshman year on the soccer team and it was just nothing but running around doing like laps around the field. And I said, and I was just such a terrible runner. I said, I can't do this. Yeah. And so I, I thought joining swim team would be easier and I joined swim team and I did, I swam throughout my whole, you know, high school time um, Amazing. as a swimmer. Yeah. And it was like, I find this to be easier, you know, in a, in a way, but it really wasn't right. Cause mm. it was like, you know, just as hard as running. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I I, I never pursued it in college. I almost wish I did. I did it recreationally after yep. high school. Oh, and I, I still swim. I still swim a little bit, but I'm not as good as I used to be. <laughs> did you have a particular race you would swim? Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. I in in high school, um, I was a distance swimmer, hmm. and I really did not like it. Um, and I would say to the coach, you know, I, I just I want to like you know, give me a shot at doing the sprint. Like, give me the, you know, the 50 free or the hundred, you know, freestyle, put me on the relay. And he was like, no, you're really good at distance, blah, blah, blah. And then we had to change the lineup because our sprinter was out sick and he, he put me in and I swam faster than our sprinter. Yeah. And he was like, okay, well now we have to make some changes. So that was my jam. My jam was the hundred free, the 50 free. And you know the relay. Amazing! So, oh, I love yeah. that. I love that story. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> it, was, it was a good time. So many swim team stories, but um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, we met a few weeks ago at the art directors club, and it was all about design and brands with a purpose. And before we get to the you know the able made story, um, I do want to touch on on design because I heard you tell the story recently about you know when you were a little girl you you like saw this billboard that sort of like inspired you with design is was that like the moment where you were like this is what I want to do or this is what really interests me I mean I think it was just the idea that like you know when you're small you're like how does that work you know and I just saw a billboard and I was like I think I was driving with my mom and um I was like how do they make that that big and my mom just said computers. And I was like, it just like kind of blew my mind that like, you know, I was used to like drawing on this little like five and a half by 11 sheet of paper, right? Or like, yeah. you know, and yeah. I just like, my little brain was just like, oh, that's so cool how they make it that big. And I was just like, oh, that's neat. You can make your, your ideas like life size or bigger and it can be really like out there in the world. So it kind of just got my wheels spinning and, um, mm. you know, got to work on some billboards when I was at Arnold. <laughs> so I was like, you know, it was just funny, just like the curiosity part of it. And, um, you know, just always being kind of like very creative driven. It's yeah. something I've always had in me. Nice. And so was Arnold your first job out of college or it, what was your first job? My first job ever 
was like at Subway making those like long sandwiches. That's, there you like, go. I smell like pickles. And then um, I actually worked at <laughs> the Marriott, like really like even throughout like the first years of my professional life, I would like, um, I was started in Portland, Maine at the Marriott there and then transferred up to the Cambridge, Massachusetts when I, when I was in college. So um, hospitality, actually, I learned a lot about that. Um, and then uh, when I was a junior, I got my first internship at Arnold in the media department, which mm. is like just getting my footing because I was like, I do not want to do media, but like, let me just like get in here. And um, I networked my butt off when I got in. Like, I obviously made sure I got my work done at a high quality, but um, my internship person was actually like the head of media. So she had a lot of like sway and she actually hooked me up. And with a few people to talk to in the creative department. And um, I got a second internship, which never happened. <laughs> like, they snuck me in there. Um, <laughs> and from there, I got right out of school, I got a job. And it was like the hottest shop, like the hottest agency at the time. They had like the Volkswagen Drivers Wanted campaign going and like all these international people wanted to work there. So I got to really build a network that was incredible because all the most talented people were going there. Um, mm. So it was pretty, it was like the best time to be there for sure. Your background is design, I mean, from your days at Arnold right up to what you do now. But, um, you know, from a design, design perspective, what would you say is the greatest challenge of design? I think just I'm very conceptual. So, like, I think I've learned that at Arnold, too. Like, you can make something pretty all day long. But, like, if you have a really strong idea behind it, that's really what makes the whole thing sing. And I mm. think I carry that through my work even as able made like the colors mean something the little icon means something like it's super conceptual um at, there's a reason for everything to be the way it is um and i think people are really like connecting to that too they're like oh i get it now or like oh that story of like the reason why that color is that color or there's a little story with every decision we've made which i think is special yeah it, i i love that about design especially conceptual designs it, it invites like curiosity right? Or intrigue. It's like, mm, let me take another look at that. And then how you interpret it and then like what it actually means. Right. Yeah. And then just the opportunity around storytelling too. Like there's so much to say about doing it that way. Like there's so much storytelling to be had and you know, people all love good stories. They want a narrative to go along with what's happening and what they're seeing. I think. Yeah. I think we're demanding that more and more um, mm -hmm. as con from a consumer level, yeah. right. Especially from brands, you know, I think like being a kid and going back to, I'm going to date myself here, but like, you know, things like Bradley's or Caldor's or Kmart, you know, it was like super recognizable brands, but there's, there was no story behind it. Yeah. You know, there, there was no connection other than maybe a sale yeah. or convenience or convenience <laughs> yep. or the blue light, right. The blue light special at Kmart, that was sort of like <laughs> yeah. a little brand, a, a brandy thing. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. And I think too, like you ha have all these different options now and you know, there's a lot of mission values driven brands, you know, every category I feel like is getting disrupted from cars, like with Tesla food, mm. certainly, um, even eyewear with what Warby Parker did, like even just a price value thing. So like, I think every category right now is experiencing that like values driven shift and storytelling, yeah. you know, behind it. Absolutely. And I wonder too, though, if every brand becomes purpose driven and values driven, which I think is amazing. Um, do you think it gets diluted if there's too much of that or I, I guess it's up to the brand. They have to walk the talk. I think that's exactly right. Like, I think there's a lot of performative things going on now, um, especially out of Black Lives Matter and inclusivity. I think there's a few that really do it for real, for real. And there's other ones that are doing it as a marketing proposition. And yeah. you could see it. You could see it because a lot of things are like going back to the, the way they were, you know, now that the trend or like the, the call to action on it is like dying down a little bit. Um, you could see people just shifting back to the status quo way that they were doing it prior. So I think there's authenticity. I know that's an overused word, but like, I think there's, there's brands that are standing out to me at least that are really doing it and doing it really well. And when they're doing it well, it's not going to be perfect all the time. And I would say like 
Patagonia is like a nice OG example. They they let people know when they mess up. They let people know when they're not like quite at the goal they're setting for themselves. And I mean, fashion and apparel is like super hard to like do much in in terms of sustainability for real. Like to move that dial is much more expensive. It's much more time. You know, it costs a lot of time to do it as well. So I think there's a struggle in it. And I think the ones that are doing it are transparent and, you know, are getting back to storytelling. They, they make that part of their, their story. Um, so I don't think there's as many doing it in a real gut check way. Um, whereas like a lot of it's the marketing noise. And I think, I think it's, for me, it's easy to see the difference. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think consumers are savvy too, right? You just mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you know, right? You know, you know, yeah, you could tell, you could tell. Yeah, and I love Patagonia. What a cutting edge brand! Yeah. I mean, they did, you know, they did it, and they yeah. they're very. I love the political stance. They put their money where their mouth is. Literally, um, tax breaks yeah. they'll put into like environmental things, or you know, it's. I love that stance. Without going through like your whole trajectory, you know, you worked at Arnold and then you had other careers, um, went to New England School of Art, or you taught at the New England School of Art and Design. Um, and then you were on the board of, you know, AIGA in Boston. Um, I guess from a teaching perspective, what, what did you take? What did you get out of that? Man, I love teaching. I wish I could do it more. Um, I get so much out of it. I love working with the students. Um, I would do it, I would teach a class like maybe once or twice a year when I was working full time. It was a little challenging. Sometimes there was like late nights and things like that or pitches I would have to do. And, you know, it was a little bit challenging with my schedule. But um, it was cool to actually bring real world experience into the classroom because I was working, Mm -hmm. you know, at an agency at the time. So I knew all the things that were like on trend or like happening in the real world that I could bring that knowledge into the room. So that was really valuable. And I think the students appreciated that. And I was able to get them into the agencies to like do little tours too, just because I was, you know, working or had a connection at another agency. And then I actually taught at School of Visual Arts when I moved to New York in 2013. So I would do like, they let me actually design my own course, which was really fun. Um, So I designed a uh, design for social impact. or design and impact course, and it was continuing education. So I had all these different people that were not necessarily designers, but had different um, work life experience. Some were different, you know, ages. So it was really diverse. But I just appreciate like the conversation and just like showing people possibilities and like the power of design is, you know, is it it could do so much. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that when there's real world examples yeah. versus, versus the textbook, oh, right? Yeah. It's it, when I was in school, I always appreciated the people who were doing it, you know, in practice in current practice versus the people who had been out of practice for a while. Um, and were just sort of looking at trends or like not living it. I think there's a big difference in the, in the classroom when you have that real, real world experience kind of educator. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I remember I had a public relations professor who worked at, you know, the big bad oil company. He came from Shell. Mm. That was one of his career, I guess, highlights or lowlights, depending how you look at it. But, you know, he dealt with a lot of crisis communication. And, oh, I bet. And I remember him saying, you know, because there was a student that was just so irritated that we weren't like going by the textbook or, you know, and he was giving us these like projects to work on. and. And the student was like, why aren't we reading the textbook and going from this? And he just said, look, let me tell you something. When you get out there, you're not going to have a textbook to fall back on. So I'm trying to teach you guys how to think on your feet here. You know, it was really hard. And everybody was just like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, though. It's like all, you know, college is really about critical thinking and building that critical thinking muscle. You know what I mean? like yeah text is there for a reason you know but case studies are there but like i think it's much more valuable when you're learning from someone who's who's living it for sure absolutely you've been pretty open about um 
you know, your husband's story and, and, and his, his death and how that led you onto this path to where you are now. And, you know, I've heard you say and have read that, you know, you've literally said that design saved your life. Can you, yeah. can you tell us about that? Yeah. I mean, I am really fortunate in that I, I haven't had like a crisis, like losing someone very close to me. You know, everybody that I've lost in my family has lost, you know, been lost at an age where it's not unexpected. You know, it's like in their seventies or eighties. So, you know, both my parents are still living and like, you know, my brothers and sisters are okay. Like, you know, I've never had someone that close to me pass away. And when it's your spouse, it was like, it was just, I didn't even have the tools like to deal with grief because I hadn't experienced it before. Mm. Um, so I kind of just like went into myself on when it happened, I was very much in shock because it was sudden, you know, he passed away of sudden cardiac arrest playing a soccer game. And, you know, it was just, I couldn't believe it. And then like the fact that we were like, he, he and I were really good friends before we even started dating. Like we met the first day I was in college. He was a year above me and we lived on the same floor at, at my college. And that's how we met. And, um, my sophomore slash junior year, I started playing soccer again and he was a soccer star. He's actually in the Suffolk university hall of fame for athletics. He was really good. Mm. Um, he probably should have been playing D1, but being a first-generation immigrant from Jamaica and just not having the access, he got scouted by, you know, Division Three. But, um, you know, it was just, it was hard, man. Like, that's not even the word. Like, it was just, like, almost impossible. So, like, I would get up in the morning and just, like, not even want to get up or, like, just feel like I got hit by a truck, you know, because I was like, did this really happen? And it's almost like replaying that every morning. So... Thank God for like grief therapy because I wasn't really like I didn't want to talk to anybody like in my family or my friends. I just sort of just didn't want to like hear that he was gone. And like I had this really amazing grief counselor um, that really helped me like kind of talk it through and, you know, get through some pretty dark moments. But, you know, I'll be frank, like grief, they don't talk about like the physical part of grief, like it feels like there's a big weight on you, like on your chest, like it's physically like debilitating, not only the mental struggle, but like it affects you physically. I don't think that I understood that either. So um, having the foundation, we started a foundation in my husband's honor because he was um, a local guidance counselor. He was the boys varsity coach and just like live and breathe soccer and um, did a lot for the Boston community, you know, through underserved families and um, single parent households and, um, lower income households and like would pick kids up, you know, for their practices. If they couldn't get a ride, he would sing with them in the car. Like he was just beloved. Like the globe was at my doorstep the next day to find out what happened. Like he was that, you know, revered in the, in the community. So I got like some nice energy from that and to work on like a poster calendar or Nike, like apparel thing that would help fund the foundation to have like that stuff to like look at and like you know, be creative in that really dark period, like was really like, I would say a key to helping me like move along, you know? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Tell me about how this all led to AbleMade. So we started the foundation almost immediately. I just needed something to work on. Um, and it really like the, thing that it was really focusing on was summer activities, soccer that was like health related too. So we like snuck in this health education. It was AD and hands only CPR based on what happened with my husband, but also like teamed up with like Capital One and did financial literacy. We do yoga just for mental wellness and you know, that's free. You can just find a spot in your room and just like Zen out if you will, if you have the tools. Yeah. Um, you know, suicide prevention, which actually we do today because it's such a big topic right now for the kids, but really serving the same communities that my husband, Yukal, was serving um, ages 8 to 18 and starting in Boston. Um, we're actually in our second our second market in Hartford and are looking to New York City. Um, but 
at the very beginning we did we teamed up with Nike and they let me design a po- uh, excuse me a, a apparel collection so we did like jackets jerseys and hats um, and sneakers and they let me sell it and give proceeds back to the foundation and I also po- uh, designed a poster calendar projects we had like Alan Dye from Apple the Puma Design Group IDEO all these huge names in the art world like giving us original artwork it was like bananas and like <laughs> yeah. to have that happen too like it was really like oh it was so like relieving to see their beautiful art pieces coming in and like in this time of darkness it was like this big like light I was like oh that's gorgeous and like it was all inspired by the work we were doing through the foundation and my husband so it was just like so moving and um, it ended up selling at the MoMA and the ICA and Standard Hotel and all these like select highly selective retailers so the Nike and this poster calendar really helped uh, start the funding process for the foundation is how we launched it so I wanted to you know being a designer wanted to do something maybe in fashion like a you know based on the Nike success we wanted to do maybe a a Mm t-shirt so uh, you may have heard I I cold called Anna Winter at Vogue and I got a meeting because you never know you just have to ask just pick up the phone or figure out an email Uh, um, Um, so wait uh, you cold call Anna Winter Winter sorry Uh, like I can't imagine doing that because I, I just think of like the devil wears Prada. Yeah. You just need to find the assistant <laughs> and, you know, act, you speak with confidence. I learned this from, you know, Arnold, like act or, you know, present, project yourself. Like, you know what you're doing right. and that could get you a long way. Like, honestly. So, um, I didn't meet with her specifically, but I got hooked up with her, like right ham, who's the um, senior market editor at the time. Okay. And I had a meeting at the Vogue offices, which was in New York times, uh, times square, yep. um, at the, at the time. So, um, just really well that day, just really particular about like what my outfit looked like. And, um, I had a meeting and they, they were really connecting to what we had done and, and what we had achieved and like the design style of what we were presenting. And they were like, Oh, you guys need to talk to the guys at rag and bone. They're British. They love soccer. You know, <laughs> they would they do a shirt and um, we are, you know, we're good friends with them. We're going to hook you up. So I had a meeting at rag and bone in their headquarters in the meat packing district. And that's really where like able made was born. I would say, because I was like, why am I pitching something? They, might have like but not have a passion about right mm. so like they might like soccer but like really care deeply about like saving the dolphins so i was just like i'm gonna create a platform that's like ethically made apparel and accessories that can send proceed funds to my foundation or the one of my collaborators choosing so that's really what able made launched with at the tail end of 2013 so we worked with like project runway swell bottle puma alan die again from apple um, a lot of designers through the CFDA, which is the Council of Fashion Designers of America. Yep. And um, that's how I launched the brand um, with like 75K of outside angel money just for production. And like, that's how we did it. Um, so that's how, how it was born. Wow. It, that's so inspiring because I think the, the, the lesson right there is, ju- you know, not to quote Nike, but just do it. Like, Pick up that phone, you know, call Anna Wintour or whoever you want to reach, right? And 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 just get out there and do it versus like, you know, per, uh, becoming like, you know, what I call paralysis by analysis. Like, well, should I do this? Should I do, you know, because even if you fail, you're going to like learn, okay, that didn't work. Now what? You know? Yeah. But I, yeah. you know, that meeting, you, you said you went to the office. I, I could just picture myself getting like performance anxiety walking into like a meeting like that like what do I wear what what did <laughs> what did you wear to that meeting <laughs> I wore like a feather dress like it was legit like it was had like it was a skirt made of feathers and like a helmet laying blazer I got my hair done that day like straight had a professional yep. straight I, I think I went to Chanel to get my makeup done like I was like really all in I was like look you're going into the big leagues right now you know you had to be prepared on all levels especially yeah. like the pre- your self presentation you know that's like so important that's amazing um, yeah it was pretty funny um but yeah I mean you just I learned in Arnold like you know we were like the hottest agency and like that came with a lot of bravado right so like I learned like when you picked up the phone you said where you're coming from, like people paid attention. So I, I learned a lot from the leadership and how they presented with confidence and like 
I think that's a lot that I picked up and, you know, was able to take forward and, and with me, at least in that presentation. Yeah, no, for sure. And so the name Able Made, how, how did you come up with that? Um, it was a lot of work. I teamed up with a very talented uh, copywriter who was my writing partner at Arnold. Her name's Lisa Taylor. And she and I, she's a, was a really beautiful support. And um, after I lost my husband and we worked on some freelance together and she definitely was on the ground level with me at, you know, at the beginnings of Able Made. It was going to be chic for charity and someone else had that name and I'm really thankful that they did because I was like, I was pissed at the time, but like, I was like, that's not the right name. (laughs) And I love that like Able Made is really about like conceptually again, like just approaching it from like that, like meaning level. It was like, we wanted to have something empowering something that applied to how we're going to like move through this responsibly made product and not just like throw on a, you know, a charity on top of something that's not responsibly made. And then the idea that no matter who you are and where you're coming from, you're able, right? So um, no matter your background, physical ability, you know, your age, anything like we just wanted to like give it something that was empowering, especially because we're empowering the kids that we're working with who are coming, not always from the greatest advantage, right, in life. Mm-hmm. So we wanted it to be, like, inspiring and aspirational. That's a great name. I love it. Because it does invite, I mean, you know, Abel, right? Okay, come on, let's just do it. And, you know, and may, I, I love the name. It's it's Thank it's you. very unique. It's memorable. Um, Thank you. That's a great story. Um, now, you have the retail location at West Farms here in Connecticut. You just opened New York. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, you know, what, what's the vision? What's the, what's the plan? National growth, international, re- is it retail, is it online? So we, we just launched with Nordstrom as well. So that was in November. So we really are taking an omni-channel approach to distribution. So I love brick and mortar. I love doing experiences. Like we had that art directors club event here um, in the West Farm store. And we did an ESPN event and had two World Cup players, one who won the World Cup come. Mm. And um, there's a foosball table in our West Farm store. People just come in sometimes to play because they're used to having it here. So I love experience driven things. And now that the world is opening up after COVID, like there's this touch point. The other thing that I love is that you could touch and feel the product. Our stuff is like super soft. It's certified organic. So I think that like really comes through when you can like feel it and feel how high quality it is and see the actual like sewing details. I think that's really beautiful. Um, We actually haven't even spent money on digital marketing yet um we're raising money for the first time so we'll put some money towards that when we have some funding but um there's a lot of opportunity with the online we do have a presence obviously with a website um and then there's other opportunities we're looking at some other retail locations right now i love the idea of london and paris just because you know soccer or football to them is the biggest sport in the world. And we have a lot of international um, customers that we meet, especially through the New York, um, Brooklyn and Central Park locations we've done. So um, I think the sky's the limit. We're gonna get on some pretty well-known bodies. Like our product is gonna be worn by some people, um, you know, professional sports, not just soccer. Um, We're getting people who have bought our product from like the Boston Celtics, NFL, WNBA, not just the soccer, because we're like soccer style, but it's not so literal that you have to be a soccer fan or even a sports fan. It's just really about great style first. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a lot of plans. Um, I think we could really scale this brand um, just based on what we've done with very little capital. I'm always interested in people's routines. Tell me about your daily routine. Do you, do you have one? And like, you know, some people take like an ice cold shower. Others do like 20 minutes of meditation. What does Suzanne do? Suzanne's trying to get back into a better routine because I've been working craziness, like crazy hours nonstop. 
you know, since we relaunched the brand in April. So like my aspirational like routine is like being able to, you know, get up, make my bed, you know, um, I like to work out. So trying to get back into that, like in the morning is when I like to do that and just get it going for the day. Like I'll do, a, a, you know, anywhere to two to four mile run, um, trying to do some strength training, incorporate some yoga. So like that's really important to me, like, and as an athlete, like a former athlete, like staying in shape and like, it's just like so good for your physical and mental well-being, especially when you're stressed out. So, um, that's a big deal. Um, then, you know, work. And then I would love to have more time to cook. Cause that's like a huge passion point for me. My parents are like amazing cooks mm. and, um, we have a French background. So of course, like that has been inherited. And it, <laughs> that also is a very like chill time for me too. is just get in the kitchen <clears throat> and just like get a knife or like just start chopping up stuff. And like, I love, I love cooking. It's just, it's probably after working out, it's like the most relaxing thing for me to do. Um, and yeah, and just like trying to get out one of the, the, the funny things of feedback I got from my design director, Arnold, um, in my, in my, annual review is like, Suzanne, get out from your office, like get out from behind your computer and like get out and see stuff. Cause I was like, Oh God, I have a deadline. I'd be locked in and like, just like doing my work. But like a lot of inspiration comes from seeing the things that are outside of your office. And I impart that self part on me today. And I like take time to walk around New York city if I'm in town and like look at storefronts or like look at like different designers. Um, I need to travel a bit more, you know, just get outside of like the day to day hustle and do more of those like inspiration trips or like make sure that I'm taking time to like do self care too is important. Yeah. So that's an aspirational kind of schedule and I'm getting back to it. Nice. Yeah. I, 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 I'm the same way. I'm trying to get back to some sort of routine for a while pre COVID I was like, you know, doing yoga twice a week. I wasn't like a big yogi, but I went twice a week, you know, the beginning of the week to set myself up. And then the end of like on Friday to like decompress. And mm. then my yoga studio shut down during COVID and two friends of mine who owned it just said, we're out of here. And they moved to Costa Rica, you know, oh. so I'm like, I miss your <laughs> yoga studio, but, um, and, and, and meditation, I actually just started meditating again for the first time in like two years. I was like, okay, it's time to get back to basics. But, um, that's so hard for me. Like, how is your meditating? Like I have a hard time focusing. Yeah. It, you know, I'm, um, I don't know what kind of advice I could give, but I, I use like an app to, to, um, guide me. Right. And it's timed. So I start out, you know, five minutes because you have to build that muscle too, right? Yeah. So start with five minutes, then you increase the 10. And then, you know, if you could do 20 minutes, they say, right, if you could do 20 minutes a day, whether it's morning or before you go to bed, then that's great. Wow. But, you know, the, the thing everybody says, including the guides on the apps is, you know, if you, it's normal to have thoughts in your head. It's, no, it's normal not to focus. But the whole point of it is to really just be still and allow yourself to be still and let those thoughts come in and out of your head. And as you start to do this, and I experienced this myself, you know, I never got into like this Buddhist monk, like Zen, like state. I don't think anybody does, but I would notice that thoughts would come and then they would just kind of drift, mm, drift, drift out, drift out. Right. So I don't know. It's a work in progress. Um, <laughs> but okay, noted. Yeah. I'm going to have to look at that again. But you know, you, you answered a couple of questions I was going to ask apart from cooking. There's, is there anything else you do to disconnect from like the busy world you're in? I mean, I love, I love just looking at creative things. I'm a, I'm a foodie. So I love to go out to eat. I actually love going out to eat to lunch by myself. Like mm. I'll bring a magazine and like, it's funny, one of my friends was like, you do that? You go by yourself? I was like, yeah, I love it. It's like one of my most favorite things. I don't have to talk because I'm talking all day. Like I just like chill out and um, I love doing that. I like going into bookstores. Um, you know, I like just like looking at other creative things. I like going to museums or shows, um, independent shows. It doesn't have to be at a big, like well-known museum, but like just seeing other people's creativity is really nice. Um, and I like watching movies too. Like that's a nice chill time. Um, it's funny. Everyone thinks like my movie list is like a dude 
movie list because I like like action and like action films, and I'm not like a big like ro- you know romance movie person. So I like like the fantasy stuff. I love like I watch like Lord of the Rings like 300 times. Like I love all of that. Like because it just takes me to a different universe. And yeah. I don't have to, like I like like watching documentaries and stuff like that. But I and um, I like just to get out of my own head. Yeah. There you go. What would you say your leadership style is like? I really like to empower people and make them shine or like empower them to shine um, because I like them to be inspired by what they're doing. And I think, and I hope that I do that, especially with, you know, our younger talent that we have on Able Made. Like, I really want them to like, take their skill set and grow it and be inspired by the work that they're doing. Um, I really, I think was able to cultivate that as a board member at AIGA and later as their president, I I built like an executive committee and I was just like, what do you want to do? And I think when you like the part of the work that you're doing, you're going to want to do it more and do, do it better. So I, I feel like I was able to empower people to really like sit in their lane and like do the things that they really had like a passion around. And um, I try to find that like place that they want to be and like the areas that they want and are interested in working and then like building on that because I think that that's really important is to like the the work that you're doing. Um, I'm not a micromanager. Like I want people to feel empowered and just like become leaders and like show me things and like teach me things. So like, it's sort of like going back and forth. So it's not so much hierarchy. Mm. Um, so I would say that. And also like, I, I learned like I'm in fashion now, like, you know, I'm able to, you know, take some of the skills I've learned over the years, but like there's people who know more technically than I do, especially like on the manufacturing side. So I have like hugely talented, well-versed people that I learn from every day, even though like they're working quote unquote for me. Um, I love learning new things. I don't think your age should dictate like who's learning from who. Like, I just feel like it's, it's this back and forth conversation. That's great. So that's how I approach leadership. Nice. And that's a good approach. (laughs) (laughs) Your, your company's doing so many amazing things, um, with, with kids and so forth. But to today, like to this moment, what is the one thing throughout your career that you've been most proud of? Um, I think one of the hardest things I've ever done is try to raise capital for my business. And the stats really support that. Like last year, we like, I think, became a different company. Like since we relaunched in April, like we're not even the same business anymore. Like we just made so many milestones and just like did so much in a short period of time. And, you know, I feel proud that I haven't stopped because I'm fortunate that I'm in a position where I don't have all of these obligations that would have forced me to stop because I haven't raised the capital I probably should have or could have. Um, if I was a white male and that's just statistically proven. Um, and I'm proud that like, even though it's been really hard to do it the way I've done it, I feel so confident that what we're doing is like on the right path and it's going to get us to the end game we want, um, that I've just kept going and I've really been able to keep everything at a very high quality and, um, content level the whole time, even though we haven't, we've been undercapitalized. So I feel like that to me might be one of my proudest moments because it's super hard um, to do it like that for sure. Mm. Yeah, it, it can be for sure. And, you know, success is, is something, you know, that I find is easy to talk about um, or, or most people may find success be, to be easier to talk about than failure. So the way I'm going to frame this question is what, what is your favorite failure or do you have one? And what I mean by that is, you know, you, you thought you were so sure about something and it failed, but what was the lesson behind that? I think it kind of ties into the capital again. Like, you know, I was like, we're hitting all of these huge milestones. Like we have a long-term partnership with the Burberry. We're opening brick and mortar. We are getting a great response to our launch of our apparel. Like 
we were hitting all of these like slam dunks. Like we got into Nordstrom like within six weeks. That's like unheard of. Like I was just like, how can we not get money? And I really was like kind of operating with the assumption that the money was going to come. Mm. And, um, you know, I may have made like missteps around like how much we were outputting versus how much capital we were told we were going to get, or like, we're, you know, working so hard to get. And like, that wasn't starting to match up. So that became really like a rub. So like in hindsight, maybe I would have managed that a little bit different. Um, I was really like fortunate to bring the capital in eventually, but the timeline was really like a rub, you know? So, um, based on all this momentum we had. So I think from a leadership standpoint, it's really like learning from that and like understanding how far you can go, how far you could push things. And then, you know, you can't, I was thinking to myself, you can't afford to do it, but you can't afford not to do it. And now I'm like, you just can't afford to do it. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you could get yourself into a pickle um, if you, if you operate in that way. So I think that might be like a close failure or like could have been really big failure if I had, you know, if I hadn't gotten myself like the capital I needed eventually. But, um, I would say probably that, um, for sure. Yeah. Failure slash challenge. Failure slash challenge. Right. Everybody's afraid of the F word. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. especially, I mean, you know, this coming from Arnold and, you know, with clients like, they hire you to make something happen, right? And mm. and sometimes, you know, sure, there's a little bit of science and art involved in this business, but, you know, sometimes it, you know, you don't exactly get the result you want. And it's like, okay, what can we learn from that? And how do we move on to to do it differently to achieve the result we want? I, it's, I think the world is... Um, opening up to that a little bit more, <laughs> which is nice, yeah. nice to hear, you know, and, it, yeah. it, and, and I'm actually reading, um, Bono's book, um, you know, mm-hmm. you, you too, Bono and mm-hmm. his book, like one of the things I'm, I'm getting out of this, if you haven't read it is like perseverance, like the start of you too. And how like, you know, they would take this like boat or I think they, yeah, they took some kind of ferry or something over to England and, you know, he would hit up all the, the, the magazines and like record labels to try to get a deal and he just would not leave people's offices without like here's our tape you have to listen to you know just like and you think of somebody like bono who's so super successful and involved in so many other things today as well besides rock and roll but you know it's kind of nice to hear that at one point he was like you know, the struggling musician with a dream, you know, you can't even picture it. Right. My sister was like huge Bono fan. My oldest sister. I just remember all those posters in her and her room. Like she went to all the concerts, like she was like hardcore Bono. Um, and to think of him in that position, is just like almost impossible. Cause he's like superstar, right? Like first name basis Bono, you know, so yeah. like he, it's, it's, oh, I'll have to pick that up. That's for sure. Okay, so someone comes up to you today and they say, Suzanne, I want to start my own company. What's the first piece of advice you give them? You have to make sure you love what you're going to be doing. Like, it's going to be, building a business is not kind of what like Fast Company or like Forbes puts on the cover. Everyone's like, oh, it's an overnight success. Look at this 22-year-old who's like a billionaire now. Like, it's like, that's not that's not really how it goes for like, I would say 99% of people. So unless you've got a wrench relative that can help fund you, Mm. um, you're going to have to really put in the work. And I feel like if I wasn't so passionate about building my husband's legacy or kind of the, the values driven things that we're doing and supporting our communities and like creating safer environments for our workers through like the re, you know the manufacturing part of the apparel and the other values driven things we're doing, I might have walked away because it's time intensive. You're working twenty four seven. You're usually understaffed. You know, it's really, there's so many challenges that if you're not loving what area you're going to be working in, you're going to walk away or you're going to fold at some point, probably much earlier than um, 
what's needed to make it a success. So I always impart passion. Got to be passionate about it. Passion, so important. Um, yeah, the, you know, the, there is truth to that saying. Well, there's there's truth and then sort of a misconception. Um, what is it? It's like, you know, if you do what you love, you never really work a day in your life. But I, I, I say <laughs> bullshit because you're going to you're going to work your butt off. <laughs> yeah. uh, so. A billion percent. You're going to work like you've never worked before. Yeah. Uh, and your boss is going to be really, really hard because you're your own boss. Yeah. You're not going to let up. So like, you know, it's so it, it's so much hard work. Yes. It's so much hard work. If you could go back in time and meet your 18 or 21-year-old self, what kind of advice would you give her? Whew. Hmm. Good one. I mean, I think, you know, like it's going to be okay, maybe, is something I would say. Like, there are some points there, especially after losing my husband. I was like, I remember my, like, grief counselor saying, it's not always going to feel like this. And she just always repeated that to me because I couldn't, I couldn't imagine like getting through that and not always feeling the way I felt. Like, I think I just remember her always saying that. And I was like, whatever, I don't believe you, but eventually you come to a better place. So like, I would probably say you're going to be all right. And, um, it's going to be okay. Is probably something I would say. There's points, even if you're confident, even if you have a lot of advantages in life, like there's going to be points when you have a moment where you're like, how are you going to get through this? Like, no matter if it's like a loss of a parent, a loss of a spouse, something with, with health, um, really, you know, you start to question things and see like, and if something devastating happens, you can't even imagine getting through it. And mm. I think it sort of sounds a little cliche, but like, you kind of need that pull through, you know, and making sure that you understand that it's not always going to feel like that. Yeah. Incredible. Final question. Guy Raz, who hosts a show on NPR that I really love, asks this question. And so I'm stealing it and hopefully, <laughs> and hopefully I don't get in trouble. But how much of your success has been pure luck and how much of it is from like your leadership and brilliance? I would say like hard work, like going back to one of your first questions, like hard work with my parents and seeing that like cultivated, I would say I might not be as talented as some of the people out there, but I will work outwork the hell out of you. So I, you know, like that quote, it's like talent always, uh, or always loses to hard work when talent doesn't work hard. Mm. Like, you know, I feel like, and I, I learned that from my parents working overtime and like doing all this stuff. Like, I will outwork you all day long. And I think that that's one, one thing I have about me. I'm like really stubborn um, and I, I'm willing to do the work and put it in. I don't care what I need to do. I will move boxes. I will like, you know, just really grind. And you have to be willing, if you just want to like ship, ship champagne all day or like do selfies in Saint-Tropez, that's not entrepreneurship life. It's just kind of posing. Um, so I'm willing to just get dirty, um, get my hands dirty and whatever I need to do to get the result we need for the business. That is some awesome advice. Thank you. And before we go, any final words or anything you just want to add? I would say like one thing I like to impart is that if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Right. So you know, I've gotten a lot of things done because I'm not afraid to ask or I'm not afraid to introduce myself to people, even on LinkedIn. Like I've gotten three investors from cold messaging on LinkedIn. Um, I don't have a network of investors, so I have to create my own. So, um, you know, cold calling in a winter might not have like given me the idea eventually to start Evil Made. So I think if you're willing to like set the fear aside or be bold or be take the risk to do it you're not going to regret doing it and you're never going to know what your full potential is unless you try it so like that's a huge thing that's i think contributed to the success of where we are today well thank you so much suzanne this has been an incredible conversation i'm inspired i know our audience will be and i would just want to thank you for being on and sharing your story my pleasure. It was such a joy. Thank you for having me. And there we have it, my friends. Such an inspiring story. 
That's Suzanne McKenzie from Able Made. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. And to find out more on Suzanne and Able Made, visit ablemade.com. That's A B L E M A D E.com. Upfront is brought to you by Mason. Creatively obsessed and fixated on results, Mason leverages technology, entertainment, design, and culture to create bold, fearless ideas. It's time to make your brand more valuable. Challenge accepted. And last but not least, you can get in touch with us at hello at mason23.com. Until the next time, we'll see you. Take care. <laughs>